You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. What is going on, everybody? Hope that you are doing well. We are starting a new series this week, simply entitled The Church, with a tagline of Lessons from the Book of Acts. We're going to walk through the Book of Acts, and um, needless to say, this book is jam-packed with amazing content, and I have five weeks scheduled for this sermon series, and it is not going to be nearly enough. So we're just going to be skimming the surface, but what I always want to do is encourage you to read the book of Acts, read whatever scripture we are walking through on your own time. I don't want the only person to be speaking into your Bible knowledge to be me. Uh, You need to be reading the Bible and letting the Holy Spirit move and work through you and see what he wants to speak into your life. This is what's what's really crazy about this book is that I I use these commentaries. I, I have several, but one of the ones that I use um, it's called The Bible for Everyone by John Golden Gay and N.T. Wright. It's an absolutely incredible set. And usually there's about four or five pages of commentary to go along with each chapter of Scripture. There are 50 pages for the first two chapters of Acts. 50 for just the first two chapters. And so there's so much that we could walk through. Uh, so forgive me for only touching on a couple things as we walk through this series. A little bit of context for the book of Acts. It's written by the Apostle Luke between 60 and 70 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's actually a sequel. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and now he's writing the book of Acts or Acts of the Apostles. And he's writing to someone named Theolo- Theophilus. Excuse me. We actually don't know for sure who Theophilus is. He was hired by Luke to interview those closest to Jesus and the way, which was the movement of Christians at the time. It was called the way. And Theophilus could have been somebody's name. It could have been a title. What, What most scholars would agree on is it was probably somebody of prominence, and that person was probably located in the city of Alexandria. Jesus is only present uh, in the first nine verses of this book, and yet... As we will see over the next month, he is constantly moving through the lives of the apostles and of the church. I think there's a ton of places that we could start uh, in this book, but I want to start right at the beginning of chapter 2, and it's the story of Pentecost. Chapter 1 says that there's about 120 believers at the time, and for us, uh, Pentecost means something pretty much because of what we're about to read. But before this event, Pentecost was a holiday celebrated 50 days after the Passover that served as a Thanksgiving feast for the year's harvest. So Passover being the celebration of when the angel of death passed over the homes of the Israelites in Egypt when Moses is trying to gain them their freedom. And the angel of death is killing the firstborn in in all families to, to try to spur Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. And so this, this marks 50 days after the Passover. So it, it kind of serves twofold. One, it was a harvest feast. So they're, they're praying and they're thankful and celebrating the, the successful harvest that has come so far. But they're also expectantly prayerful for what is still to come, that there's still more harvest. This isn't the end of the harvest season. This is, is kind of smack dab in the middle of it. But more importantly, what Pentecost celebrated was the moment that Moses went up Mount Sinai and received the law from God, the Jewish law. So 50 days after the Passover, they're wandering through the wilderness. They've, they get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain, comes back down with the Jewish law. So this is a massive 
massive celebration. This is this is a huge part of Jewish culture, and it was very, very important. And Jesus was about to take it to a whole nother level. But as we as we jump into chapter two, it gives us a little bit of an of an idea why there were so many people gathered together, both in the the uh, group of believers, as Peter calls them, or as Luke calls them, and why there were so many people in the city at this time. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 is where we're going to start, and it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I don't know what your background of faith is, but no matter if you grew up super conservative or super Pentecostal, very, very charismatic, this interaction between the Holy Spirit and the small number of Jesus followers can sometimes make us uncomfortable. Maybe maybe that's just me. I grew up uh, at this church. I grew up in Faith Chapel, and there's a little bit of Pentecostal roots um, mixed in with with the way that this denomination was started, and and I was no stranger to the Holy Spirit. I was no stranger to interactions with the Holy Spirit. But every time I read this, I was just like, man, this is this is wild. Like this is crazy. This is probably not the verse that like if one of my friends wanted me to read them a Bible verse for like as the first thing that they heard out of the Bible, this probably wouldn't be it because it sounds kind of like it's out of a Marvel movie, not out of Scripture, and it, it could freak somebody out who who has no relationship. With Jesus, and I, I think the reason for that is is that our culture is just steeped in practical instead of spiritual. Western culture is just that, and and I'd say like I'm as guilty as anyone when it comes to this. Like I have such a um, not aversion to the Holy Spirit by any means, but like a hesitation with the Holy Spirit sometimes. That like I, I'm like worried because I know what the Holy Spirit is capable of. And so sometimes I avoid it and I try to turn my faith into something that is practical instead of something that is spiritual. Like, I think on one side, we all have people in our lives that that all they can talk about is the Holy Spirit. All they can talk about is how the Spirit is moving and working through their lives. And I'm not like discrediting that. That's amazing. But I think that they lose the practical aspect of their faith where when somebody is curious about walking in step with Jesus or, or is entering into a relationship with Jesus, that they're scared because those people use language that they, they can't even possibly understand. That this like Christianese and it's it's all Jesus all the time. They can't even hold a normal conversation. You're like, hey, how are you today? And they're like, oh, well, the Lord has been working in miraculous ways. And you're just like, oh, no, like I, I just wanted to know how you were. And then on the other side, there's some of us who are so practical with our faith that we don't talk about Jesus nearly enough that Jesus doesn't come up in our normal conversations at all. And when we're surrounded by believers, man, we should be talking about Jesus regularly. And when we're talking to people who don't love Jesus or don't follow Jesus, he's, we, they should still know that Jesus is a huge part of our life and that that he does move and affect the decisions that we make and the actions that we take and the words that we speak and all of those things. So there's a danger on both sides, and we need to find moderation. We need to find ourselves right in the middle, people who are in tune with the Holy Spirit but also people who are able to engage with people on a human level. The first question that I want to ask this week is, are we afraid of the Holy Spirit? Am I afraid of the Holy Spirit? 
And maybe that sounds like like an insane question, but if you let that sit in your mind for more than five seconds, like maybe it's not so crazy. Like if I'm being completely honest, like that spiritual hesitation towards the Holy Spirit happens more than I would ever want it to. And maybe you have a little bit of spiritual hesitation when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And I think there's a reason for that. I think that our humanity fights against our connection with the Holy Spirit because we fully understand that the Holy Spirit can play the role of convictor. Like some people might call it your conscious. Like I know that the Holy Spirit speaks into my life on a regular basis and is like, hey, dum-dum, like what are you doing in this situation? Why did you speak those words? Why did you Why did you take those actions? Like you need to have an about face. You need to repent. You need to move the other way. Like you definitely need to be convicted in this. And part of me is like, no, like, leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. Like, life is, life is, quote, unquote, more fun without being convicted. But what we have to understand about this role that the Holy Spirit plays is that the Lord will never, that the Holy Spirit will never convict us when it's not for our best interest or the best interest of the people around us. When we are convicted is because the Lord is steering us towards health, not away from pleasure, not away from fun, not away from good things, but away from things that are going to harm us or harm the people around us and towards the things that he has for us. So I think that that's why some of us have some hesitation fully leaning into our relationship with the Holy Spirit is because we don't want to be called out on our insufficiencies. And even though the Holy Spirit is always going to do that in love, our humanity wants to fight against that because we just want to be told we're perfect and we never mess up. And that's where we want to find ourselves. But here's the thing. We can stop right there. We can stop and just be like, yep, that's the, that's the role. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's his role in my life. But what we miss out on is the truth that the Holy Spirit is also our empowerer and our encourager. The Gospel of John, um, in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit several different things depending on, on the translation that you use. Some of the words that, that the Apostle John uses is advocate, helper, counselor, comforter. Like there's a a common thread through all those things, and that is this, is that he is for us. Now listen, I I think there's an incredible need for practicality when it comes to our relationship with Jesus and with other people. We need to be like Paul and say, like, to the Jews I became Jewish, to the Greeks I became Greek. Like I want to be all things to all people so that just one person can meet Jesus. Like 100%. Like we need that practicality, and and we need, we need to operate in that. But we cannot, hear me, we cannot become numb to the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit will actually work in miraculous ways on how we can practically live out our faith. So leaning into the Holy Spirit is always the answer. We do not worship a small God. We do not worship a small God. We worship the God who hung the stars in the sky and have to understand that the same God who created all of this, who created us to our innermost being, is the same God who sent his helper, sent his advocate, sent his comforter, his encourager, his empowerer, the Holy Spirit to walk with us every single day and to lift us up and to give us strength. Let's not become numb to that. Let's not not become so practical that we lose our spirituality. As we're going to see through this entire book, the Holy Spirit does amazing things in and through the people of God. Pentecost served as that moment to be thankful for the harvest that had already come and then be an expectant prayer for what was still to come. I think that we can be thankful for what Jesus has already done and be prayerfully expectant of what is still to come as the Holy Spirit works through you and me. 
Let's be prayerfully expectant of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Chapter 2, the Apostle Luke goes on to say in verses 5 through 13, Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them hears each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. From all over, from all over, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. I love that. They throw that in there like, yeah, they thought they were drunk. So what does this mean? What does it mean that, that these languages, that the disciples of Jesus are, are starting to speak in all these people from all over the world are like, how am I hearing this in my own language? Here's what it means. This, this was God's sweeping declaration. This is for everyone. This is for everyone. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit on the followers of Jesus was going to affect the rest of human history. But in this moment, from the very beginning, this was God making it clear that the message of Jesus was for every living soul. It was an absolutely incredible moment of God that everyone took notice of. They were in awe. They were perplexed. I just wonder, is there anything happening in in, in our church, in the church, in the movement of Jesus, in, in our friend groups, in our homes, in our workplaces, that people are in awe of, that they are amazed and perplexed of? If not, is it because God isn't present? Like, no, of course not. Like, we know that God is present, ever-present helper, ever-present helper. He's always around. Or is it because we aren't willing to move when God says move? Is it because when God calls us to things, we stay stagnant, we say stay flat-footed, we don't move towards what Jesus is calling us to do? I think it's crucial that we understand that it wasn't just amazing because these people could hear with their ears, but because they could understand in their souls, in their spirit, that while the universal language of Jesus didn't speak to the ears, it spoke to their innermost being. They're speaking these languages that they could recognize with their ears, but Jesus was speaking to every single part of them. And it's crazy to think about this and it's crazy to try to try to wrap our brain around it. And I think for the first 18 years or so, I, I had a really hard time with this story because I was like, man, that is, that's just wild. That's like kind of crazy. It seems almost made up. Like good Christian me always had a hesitation with it. Like now I'm a pastor and I'm like, oh man, what, what were you thinking? And my whole perspective changed in uh, 2006. I was uh, moving into my senior year of high school, I got the opportunity to go to Sao Paulo, Brazil. There's 22 million people. It's one of the biggest cities in the world. And we worked in downtown Sao Paulo. It's called Garbage Mouth. And we had the opportunity to do lots of different things, uh, from working with, with orphanages to working in homeless shelters to um, this one night we threw a birthday party for a transgender prostitute. There was this insane prostitution um, culture in Sao Paulo. And there, there was this transgender prostitute and we threw her a birthday party and 
we were on like the 10th or 13th, 10th or 13th, 10th or 11th floor. Maybe it was the 13th. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. Not relevant. But we we throw this birthday party and they walk in and they kind of all look like drag queens and they're giving us big hugs. Like we're, we're in high school or we're early in college. Like I was sheltered white kid from Montana. Like I was in awe of what was I was, I was experiencing, what I experienced the entire time I was in Brazil. But this moment specifically, like giving big hugs to these these women who are walking in, who are living these like wild lives. And, and I'm talking to Tiago, who's one of our translators. And I'm like, wow, like, why are we doing this? Like, I don't fully understand why we're doing this. And he's like, oh, this is just, this is a super practical way for us to be Jesus. Like we're loving them on a human level to let them know that they are worthy, that they are valuable, not just by us, but by Jesus. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. So for two hours, we, we throw this birthday party and we sing her happy birthday and she cries. Like there's a, there's just like all of this stuff that's going on in, at this party and it's just joy. Like it's just joy and it's like two worlds colliding and we had opportunities to say like small prayers for them and, and their families and their kids and like everything that was going on. But like what's crazy about this is after they all leave. Our team circles up with, with our Brazilian teammates. And there's a man named Fernando who are on our team. And, uh, like, we, we have talked through Tiago, our translator, but he didn't speak English. And then he starts to pray, and he starts praying in English. And I'm like, you dog. Like, you have been stringing us along. Like, you did not want to tell me that you spoke English. Like, this is crazy. And he prays this, like, 20-minute prayer that is, like, amazing. Like, one of the most... Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm bawling the entire time. He's praying about deliverance. He's praying about these transgender prostitutes who are, who are, who are going to, to meet Jesus and, and that there's going to be ministry that happens through them and people are going to come to do Jesus because of them and, like, all of these things. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is amazing. And he gets done with the prayer, and we're all crying. And I lean over to Tiago, and I was like, Fernando, that guy, I can't believe that he didn't tell me he doesn't speak English. Or I can't believe he didn't tell me he speaks English. And Tiago goes, he doesn't. And I was like, no, he just prayed for 20 minutes in English. And he goes, no, he was praying in Portuguese. And my mind was blown and more tears came and all of these things happened in the, in the coming days where I, I experienced the Holy Spirit in a new way, understanding that he desired for his people to be on mission together. And it didn't matter where they were from, that they were all in this together, pursuing the hearts and minds of people for Jesus. So what does this mean? What does like this is for everyone mean for us? Well, one, it means it's for you if you're listening to this and you don't have a relationship with Jesus or you do and you need to be reminded that the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the grace of Jesus is for you. What it also means it is for every single person around you. It's for your family. It's for your friends. It's for that guy who might have fishtailed in front of you and almost took you off the road today. It's for that guy that you would maybe consider an enemy, and it's for the people that you consider allies. This is for everyone. Jesus sent his, his Holy Spirit so that you and I would be empowered to reach the corners of the earth. But that starts at the corners of our homes and the corners of our workplaces and the corners of our schools and the corners of our friend groups. And then it's going to go to the corners of Billings, Montana, or wherever you're at. And then it's going to go nationwide. And then it's going to go worldwide. Like, this is for everyone. There's not a soul on this planet that the message of Jesus is not for and that the Holy Spirit does not want to affect and move and encourage and empower and sometimes convict. But this is for everyone. I love that last verse of this passage, though, this Verse 13, where it says that they, they must have had too much wine. They must be drunk. 
N.T. Wright says this, part of the challenge of this passage is the question, have our churches today got enough energy, enough spirit-driven new life to make any onlookers pass any comment at all? Has anything happened which might make people think we're drunk? If not, is it because the spirit is simply at work in other ways or because we have so successfully quenched the spirit that there's actually nothing happening at all? It's not about taking this and, and just trying to draw attention to ourselves. But this is, is about our churches and our friend groups and, and the, the groups of people that we consider followers of Jesus as we're trying to make an impact on our world, not becoming so stagnant that people around us don't even recognize that we exist. We want people to at least pass a comment. Man, call me crazy. Call, call me over the top. Call me whatever you want to call me, but just call me something. Don't, don't pretend like I don't exist. I want you to know that, that, that God is moving in my life, and I want you to know that God is moving in the lives of my family and my friends and my church and all of these things. We need to be making enough difference and making enough noise that people are willing to pass a comment, not just walk by and not even exist, not even recognize that we exist. Verses 14 through 18 goes on to say this. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So apparently mimosas weren't a thing then, so we can write that off. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I don't have a new point here. This is just Peter doubling down. All people. All people. Men and women. Ladies, listen to me. If someone tells you that you are not allowed to prophesy, if someone tells you that you can't be in leadership, please point them to this verse. And I know that there's there's a lot more arguments and, and people would love to debate with you all day, but the Holy Spirit didn't wait for just a group of men to be around before he indwelled upon them. No, he. this was an entire group of believers, both men and women, and they were speaking in tongues and they were prophesying, they were preaching, they were leading people towards Jesus. It says old and young. If anyone ever tells you that you are too young to lead, they're wrong. They're wrong. My hope is that the next generation, that the young adults, that, that even high schoolers and junior hires and kids would not wait for the baton to be passed to them, but they would go and get it. That doesn't mean that we push the older generations aside. They have incredible, immense, unimaginable advice and wisdom for us. But we should prove to them that they don't have to hold on to those things for too much longer that they can be ready to hand the baton of the church to us. Here's the thing. Man, woman, old, young, race, country, whatever it is, we can either choose to lead from our position, our physical position, or we can choose to lead from our calling. Let me say that again. We can either choose to lead from our physical position or we can choose to lead from our calling. We have to understand that our physical location does not determine our eternal impact. You might say, I'm a delivery driver. I work at Target. I'm a barista. I don't know like what you do for a living, but your physical position does not determine your eternal impact. Do what God has asked you to do where you are. And maybe, just maybe, when you complete what God has asked you to do, he'll move you from that place to another place so there's a new field to till. There's new soil to harvest. 
Scripture says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I think that it's so often because workers don't understand that where they currently are is perfectly acceptable. Stop seeing it as a barrier and start looking at it as an opportunity. Peter then spends almost the rest of chapter 2 preaching a message and 3,000 people are saved. So from 120 to 3,120 in a day. God is waiting to do big things. He's no different today than he was 2,000 years ago. He wants to do incredible things. He wants to bring revival. He wants to bring life change. He wants to bring redemption to people, to cities, to campuses, to workplaces, to families. Jesus wants to do massive, massive things. The last point tonight is this, a blueprint. The early church gave us a perfect picture of what it meant to be the church. And I'm not going to preach through it. I'm not going to give you another point. I'm not, I'm not going to give you subpoints or anything like that. All I'm going to do is I'm going to read what Luke wrote, and it's going to give us a perfect blueprint of what the church is. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.